This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Well, a couple of uh, developing stories today, and we're going to get straight at it. Uh, One man is dead, and a police officer was taken to hospital for treatment of injuries and uh, subsequently released following a police shooting in the capital city today. Uh, That matter is now under investigation by CERT and L. The incident occurred in the area of the Regatta Plaza building just before 11 this morning. CERT NL is in the process of locating and notifying next of kin and cannot release any further information at this time on uh, the deceased. Um, A civilian oversight organization is automatically brought in when a police officer discharges a weapon. Well, as soon as we found out that this was happening, we sent reporter Noah Shepard down to the scene. He joins me now in studio. Hi. Hello, Linda. It's nice to see your smiling face yeah. for a change. It's usually Richard Duggan. It normally is, yes. Usually I'm in the booth getting ready for the 430. That, there you go. And uh, Richard will be joining me shortly, so he's he hasn't been usurped in any sort of way. But uh, So you headed down to Regatta Plaza when we first found out about this. Um, and I guess, for, for starters... Where is Regatta Plaza? What is it for people who might not be familiar with the capital city? So Regatta Plaza is right on Elizabeth Avenue, and it's that sort of uh, big, like, long uh, brick building that you can see. Now, there's not much on the way of what faces Elizabeth Avenue, but it's right on the corner of New Cove Road, and that's where you actually turn in is off of either New Cove or further down Elizabeth. Uh, It's got the TD Bank in it, so obviously when you first hear this, any crime nature with a bank there, that's where you expect it to be. But uh, when we went down to the crime scene and went around the back, um, it was actually in the Regatta Plaza a building from what we could tell. So what does the Regatta Plaza building, because as you described, it's this big, long building, and obviously there's a lot of offices and, and, and space in there. So what's in that building? What does that house? So that actually houses a number of uh, different offices, mainly office space. And uh, so wait, there's a dentist office, but um, there's uh, Im- immigration offices as well as employment offices. So the area that we could tell, it was... Uh, up on the second floor, and it would have been in the area of the employment offices. So we're not quite sure exactly the right area. It was a, it was a bit of a different crime scene that uh, than you would normally see with these incidents. At least that's how it struck us. But uh, yeah, it was so it was up in the uh, area of the employment offices in sort of more of a common space. So it's relatively high traffic areas, I would imagine. Yes, yes, there was, well, there was people coming even while we were there. They were coming in and out uh, throughout. There was a couple people there trying to uh, uh, take advantage of immigration services as well as a few people coming in for employment services. Now, a lot of those people were told to go that they weren't open uh, based on the uh, based on the events of the morning. So we were only there about an hour and a half after the event happened. And uh, it was uh, it was a bit of a different crime scene. You know, there was, there was still uh, activity, but it was relatively quiet compared to police activity that you would normally see. Yeah, because, I mean, it's our job to arrive at these kinds of scenes and you try to keep your distance. You let, you know, the officers do what they're doing. You're just there to 
take in the scene, try to figure out what was going, what's going on so you can convey the information to the public so that they know to avoid an area or if there's any danger to the public and all those kinds of things. So um, did you see a lot of uh, activity? Was it cordoned off in any way? What did you notice? So that was the interesting thing is we never actually were able to see, uh, there was no crime tape that present for as far able as we were, or as far as we were able to go. Um, there was lots of police cars outside, I would say like six or seven, uh, both our uh, RNC and RCMP. So, uh, of course, when it's uh, it's a matter with CERT and L, lots of times they'll work with the other police department rather than the one that uh, the one that's being investigated. So if it's an incident with the RNC, they will work with the RCMP. So it's uh, no surprise that both were there. Uh, but... Uh, there was a distinct sort of lack of officers just milling around. Lots of times you go to these crime scenes and you'll instantly be met with someone asking you why you're there uh, or telling you to stay away or and they'll uh, flag people down that are moving throughout the area. Uh, but we didn't run into that. So it was it was uh, as far as we could tell deeper into the building to an area that we uh, that we didn't access. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was still sort of it. it on any other day, you could expect that building to be the way it was. Interesting. Uh, so, uh, you, you know, we can't draw any conclusions from that except to assume that perhaps it took place somewhere other than where you happen to be. Exactly. So uh, the, what we can ascertain from being at the scene is that it happened inside. Not and were you outside. Talking to anybody there, oftentimes these things you'll you'll talk to a neighbor or a person or a passerby who said, "Oh my goodness, I saw or heard or did this or I noticed these things." Or did were you talking to anybody at the scene? We were, and uh, that's another interesting thing is a lot of people weren't aware of what was happening. Uh, some people were aware of an incident, but not specifically what happened. Lots of times we'll get uh, lots of you know uh, witness information or something at the scene, not stuff that we normally report on because we need official confirmation but lots of times we will get some background information for our purposes but we weren't able to get that at the scene there was a lot of people who uh, weren't quite sure what was going on uh they were just aware of a incident not the incident if that uh provides any clarity and uh, just so everyone is aware we immediately when we found out about this we were notified by certain L themselves um who and it's automatic yes certain L is involved anytime um a police officer discharges their sidearm we yes. call it a weapon it's a sidearm whatever uh, it's a tool that they use um and it's it can it's a powerful tool <laughs> as we all know so certain L automatically gets involved if there's a discharge of one of these types of uh of uh, sidearms and um and then they conduct their investigation with the help of another police agency if that's necessary Yes, exactly. So it doesn't necessarily mean, just because certain are involved, it doesn't necessarily mean that there was or wasn't any wrongdoing by police. Yeah, just because they're, they're there involved. to determine that. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, Noah, I really appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you. Off to, uh, we'll hear more from you on this and other things in the 430 News. Really appreciate it. Right you are. Uh, and just so you know, uh, the... Um, uh, where is that information I had? The Employment Center is closed as a result of uh, this situation this morning, and the provincial government says that mental health and crisis supports are available through the Employment Assistance Program, and anyone with information or video footage from the area of Regatta Plaza at the corner of New Cove Road and Elizabeth Avenue between 9.30 this morning and 11.30 
is asked to contact investigators, and this is going to be certain L now, where norm we normally say, normally say asked to contact RCMP or RNC. In this case, it's the investigators with certain L. The number, 738-7478, or email certain uh, info at certnl.ca, and we've got all that information up online. Noah Shepard, thanks so much. Uh, coming up, a local business owner wants to develop a Nordic spa operation in the Blackhead Road area. But area residents say, not so fast. This is News Talk on VOCM. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And we're back. Well, some controversy surrounding a proposed Nordic spa in the Blackhead Road area of St. John's. Rebecca Bazanson is behind the project that was the subject of a heated public meeting that heard a number of concerns raised by area residents. Rebecca Bazanson joins me now. Hello. Hi. So uh, tell us a little bit about this whole Nordic spa concept. What is a Nordic spa? Um, so a Nordic spa, I had never been to one um, until a few years ago, and so I really didn't know what to expect. Um, so I went to the one, first one I went to was in Nova Scotia, and obviously since I've come up with the idea to bring it to Newfoundland, I've now been um, to probably 10 or more. Um, but they all kind of have the same concept. So you'll check in. Usually you have to um, purchase your ticket ahead of time because they're usually pretty booked up. But you would go in and check in at your, at your um, check-in time. And they're usually open from anywhere from 8 a.m. till 9 p.m., depending on which ones. It might be 10 to 7, whatever. So you go in, say, at 10 o'clock, and you check in. They give you a wristband. Um, with your locker, your robe, your flip-flops. You can bring your own flip-flops or buy them. And then you um, get changed in your bathing suit and off you go into the open area. You can't go back to your car. So that's a, um, a rule across the board. Everybody has that rule. And also on the wristband, a lot of them, um, so alcohol, which I know was um, a big topic, but um, alcohol consumption is limited as well because um, – it's more for relaxation. So a lot of the wristbands of the larger spas um, will monitor it that way. But either way, you can have one drink an hour. So um, some of them you can just buy with your wristband. Other ones um, you can use your phone and they deliver it right to your location if you want a drink, if you want a snack. Um, so you go out and it's a circuit. So you'll go from hot to cold to rest. So you'll go into the hot pool, you're in there for 10 or 15 minutes, and then you'll go do a cold plunge, um, which is freezing. <laughs> it's not my favorite, but it does have really good health benefits. And once you do it about three times, your body actually physically feels different, um, which I can't really explain, but um, you will notice a difference and your body doesn't react the same way after you've done it a couple times. So then you'd go through the cold plunge, or you might go to a cold bucket um, uh, drop so you walk over and you just pull pull the lever and cold water will come on you and then you'll go rest so either you sit around um a fire you might go to the um resting area where you can sit and read a book you might go into the sauna but basically it's to just bring your body temperature back up to normal slowly and then you might go into the dry sauna for 10 minutes back into the cold plunge or back into the hot pool. It's basically a circuit of how you want um, 
to continue. And then there's also a steam sauna, which is one of my personal favorites. So usually it's either eucalyptus or orange. And so you go into the steam sauna for about, um, again, 10 or 15 minutes. And then usually there's also different um, salt scrubs that, again, you can lather yourself in the salt scrub and then um, go to the shower and just um, usually there are cool showers to rinse off the salt. Um, and so then again, you might decide that you want to go to the bistro and have lunch and then again, just continue. It's extremely relaxing and it's also very affordable because, um, spas across Canada range in prices from say $70 to just over a hundred dollars. And you're going to the spa for hours on end. I was going to say, Um, this isn't a 10 or 15 minute thing. This is a, this is an all day pursuit. Yeah. So, and then also if you want, there's also, um, There'll be resi- uh, registered massage therapists as well as estheticians. So you could choose a relaxation massage or you could choose a sports massage. You could get a facial. You could get a wrap. Um, those services you can also book and um, across the gl- map as well. The benefit of those are you can go in at any time of the day, check in at any time versus whatever your check-in time is. So um, there's it's kind of... It's very relaxing to be able to then go get a facial, but it's also a benefit that you can go in at any time. And um, there's a huge benefit for tourism because um, it's basically another added thing that tourists can do in all weather conditions. So one of the reasons I really like that location is because um, Newfoundland gets a lot of wind. And so to be able to – the only thing that can make your life miserable in a hot tub is to be – blasted with cold air on your face um so by able to by being able to be surrounded in trees it kind of would block the wind a bit and this way people that are coming to see the province can still enjoy the outdoors can still see newfoundland even if we have what we've had now for the past two weeks um the spas are perfect it's perfect in all types of weather i've been in the rain i've been in the summer i've been in the winter and it's a different type of experience, but it's all extremely relaxing and very enjoyable. And um, so this is a year-round event. It's not just tourism for the summer months. It's, it's right no, through the winter as well. No, year-round. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, it, it includes saunas as well? Yes. So there are mini saunas, which just have between two and four people. There's a larger um, sauna, and it would have like two different temperatures. So you might have the Russian sauna, which is extremely hot and then a normal sauna. And then there's also, um, yeah, then the steam sauna as well. So this is a new concept for Newfoundland and Labrador. Yes, Newfoundland does not have any Nordic spa. So when I went, I was on vacation and went to one. And when I arrived, because my facial wasn't until 7 o'clock at night, and I was arriving at noon, we had just, I'd gone with my friend. We had no idea what to expect. We just had heard a lot about it. And I literally, because after you check in, you find out later that you can't leave. Um, Once you leave, you're checked out. And I was like, so we're going to be here for seven hours. My exact words were, what am I going to do? What are we going to do here for seven hours? And when we were done, I was like, I can't believe like you didn't feel like the time was going by. It was just relaxing and amazing. And I've been to them where I've had to only go for a couple hours just because I was catching a flight. Um, but usually between 
say three to four hours is kind of a really good time. It allows your body to de-stress and you've been able to experience all the different parts of the circuit. So, or Are you surprised then by some of the pushback that you've been receiving? Um, I'm not surprised only because I know the history of that community area. So I know that they don't want any um, commercial at all. They don't want any um, anything other than residential housing, um, the houses that are there. So I'm not surprised. And I think um, you could typically get the same response in any um, location similar to that. And that is the reason I had such a hard time finding a location is that most um, areas that are zoned um, commercial are for high traffic, high visibility um, center of town. So it's extremely difficult to find something that works. And it's also very difficult that if you do find residential, it has to be zoned the proper way of residential that it could have a permit use. So this one has a discretionary permit use for tourism, which this would be a tourism attraction. So it should fit um, I guess the planning for that air for that area. So when I first introduced it, I sent um, Anne Marie multiple locations that I thought might work, um, and then she went back just to look at what the permitting was to see which one would be a potential. So I understand, like I understand all their concerns. Um, so when I say I was expecting it, it's just um, I think you would expect that from anywhere. So where does this stand in the process now? Um, so now we've had the public meeting, um, and this is an on-the-go. Like, I started this process two years ago, and specifically with the um, city about a year and a half ago. So it's not a new thing. It's, we've been working on it for quite some time for this exact location. Um, but basically, the next step is the counselor's vote. So we're kind of, I feel like I can see the almost see the finish line in regards to knowing whether this location will work. But then after that comes all of the development requirements. Um, but we had, they last June, they requested the land use report. So they um, approved it subject to the land use report. And then um, that has now been accepted. So then the next step was the public meeting. So we've um, completed the public meeting. So the next step is the vote. And when will that take place? Do you know? Um, I don't know offhand the exact date, but I understand that it's somewhere around the middle of July. Well, Rebecca, do keep us up to date uh, on this. Uh, really do appreciate your time. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much. And Rebecca Bizanson is behind a proposed Nordic spa in the Blackhead Road area. And discussion on that, public discussion on that, got rather heated uh, over the last little while. Uh, people... Uh, in the area, very concerned with a number of uh, issues, not the least of which are, are fire and, and water type issues in that area. Um, if anyone is uh, wants to give us a call and uh, talk about that, they're certainly welcome to do so. Well, coming up, three people charged in connection with the alleged abduction of a 14-year-old girl appeared in court today for a bail hearing. VOCM's Richard Duggan was there. We'll hear from him next. This is News Talk on VOCM. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com.
Network. And as we said off the top of the show today, there's a lot of developing stories today, not the least of which is this one, uh, which we watched very closely last week. Three people arrested in connection with the abduction of a 14-year-old St. John's girl made an appearance in provincial court in St. John's today, ostensibly for bail hearings. But this is the first appearance in St. John's of these three accused. Richard Duggan was in the courtroom today. Uh, Richard, walk us through the the case to date. Yes, well, thank you very much, Linda. So, um, you know, this is um, a case that has played out very publicly. Uh, Of course, we had, uh, at at first, it was a missing persons case with the 14-year-old girl for St. John's, and then last uh, Thursday, that changed to uh, the RNC issued an Amber Alert, uh, and uh, luckily she was found uh, later that night. Um, and these three, uh, the three accused that were uh, appearing in court today, uh, were arrested. Uh, t- the first two, or sorry, the 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 man from New, um, New Brunswick, he was arrested that evening, and then the uh, the other two were arrested early the next morning. Um, so that's kind of where we are right now. So how things played out today? Um, not a whole lot of movement in t- in terms of the court process today. So uh, what was on the docket today was bail hearings for for each of them. Um, so we had Aaron Bast, 63 year old Aaron Bast. She appeared in court first, followed by uh, Cyril Boone or Frederick Cyril Boone. Pardon me. Uh, appeared just after her, and then about an hour after. After that, uh, we had Wilbur Jerome Crockwell. Uh, he appeared in uh, court as well, and he's the man from New Brunswick. Um, and it all played out the exact same way. Um, the bail hearings have been set over to Wednesday morning. Um, so that's where things stand right now. Again, not a whole lot of movement, and I guess we'll find out on Wednesday morning uh, where things stand. So this case, and, and we're calling the, um, uh, the young person involved in this uh, as a 14-year-old, we've, we're not using her name anymore mm-hmm. because there is a publication ban on her name because she's yes. a minor, no doubt. Yeah. Um, but there's an awful lot of public interest in this case. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, as I mentioned off the top, Linda, um, this is something that played out very publicly. I mean, last Thursday, everybody who has a mobile device or who was listening to the radio or watching TV got the notification of the Amber Alert for this 14-year-old girl. Um, so most people in the province knew about it. And so this is a case that has uh, and a situation that has played out very publicly, uh, lots of public interest in terms of what happens next. And uh, really the next step now will be on Wednesday to find out um, whether or not they will be granted bail. Um, and then things will wind through the court process from there. But yeah, there's certainly a, a huge amount of public interest uh, in this case. Uh, no smart, small part due to the fact of that Amber Alert that was issued last week. The Amber Alert is rare enough. We've only mm-hmm. seen, um, I can only think of one other one case, other, yeah. if you know, if my memory is serving mm-hmm. me correctly here. Um, but I can't remember a case involving the abduction of a child. Yes, no, I, I, I can't either from, uh, from here in, in Newfoundland anyway. So that's um, certainly not something that we see a whole lot of. And I think that plays into the public interest in this case is the fact that the, the fact that the Amber Alert was sent out sort of set the tone of, of how serious of a situation was playing out. And because of that, um, I think that's where the heightened level of public interest in this comes from, is the fact that we don't see this very often. Like you said, I can remember, uh, I can recall maybe one other time, uh, at least in the time that I've been working here, uh, that an Amber Alert has been issued in the province. So um, a, a situation that 
thankfully doesn't play out here too often. Um, and again, it, now I it's mostly just a waiting game now to see how this is going to play out. And uh, really, the the details when this really goes through whatever court process, whether that be trial by jury or whatever ends up happening, the details of what happened and why it happened um, will be very interesting And now as they come out. Indeed, uh, the public interest is going to remain high in this particular case. Uh, Richard Duggan, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much, Linda. And I should mention, too, uh, we did get pictures of the three accused, and uh, those are up on uh, my Twitter account, and those will soon be up online at vocm.com as well. I appreciate that, uh, Richard Duggan. Thank you very much. Uh, So there you have it uh, out of the courtroom today. So coming up, a dramatic demonstration outside Confederation Building this morning. A former resident of the Whitburn Boys' Home illustrates how he spent four long years of his young life. This is News Talk on VOCM. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And we're back. Well, imagine as a teenager being locked up in a tiny cell for four years and the impact that might have on your life. Well, that's what Jack Whalen is asking people to do. After creating a replica of the cell he lived in at the Whitburn Boys' Home back in the 1970s. He parked that replica outside Confederation Building this morning and was inviting people to come have a look and uh, talk to him about it. Whalen, now 63, spent four years in detention from 1973 to 1977, often enduring physical and mental abuse. He once spent 87 days in isolation, known as the hole back then, with no natural lighting. He built a replica of the cell, something he calls the torture chamber. He was interviewed by reporters, including VOCM's Brian Medore, at Confederation Building this morning. Uh, The actual cell was six inches wider than this and two to three inches longer. How long would you be in there at a time? Uh, the longest that I spent was 87 days in w- in one sitting. Uh, after that, I stopped counting because I was starting to lose my mind. I didn't want to quite convince myself I wasn't in there that long. Right? So one day would consist of what? Would you have any time outside? None whatsoever. Just to go to the washroom. Uh, there's no sink or toilet or anything, so you got to go to the washroom. you got to... Ask the guard, and of course, is that he's convenience. If uh, the, if uh, another world's on, uh, they'll have to wait for a commercial to let you go to the washroom. Right? And you went in 1973. Uh, what were you in for? I was in for I got in a fight down in the stadium, and I got a little bit of trouble as a kid. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think I broke into a place and stole a few things out of the store or something, right? But the last thing I went in for was uh, I got in a fight down the stadium and uh, sort of sent me to the boys' home for. How old were you when you were at the home? I was 13 and I got out when I was 17. And just so, just so people can picture it, I mean, how small is this, this room right now? This small, this room is actually, uh, well, it's supposed to be five and a half feet wide, but it's, it's not quite that. And it's supposed to be six and a half long and it's a couple of inches short of that, two or three inches short of that. And what was it like to have to, to stay in a box like this? Uh, it wasn't easy, trust me. Uh, I, after, I had about 87, 80, 80-odd days punched in, and uh, the superintendent of the home came down and asked, there was two more guys in the, the other cells across from me, 
and asked him if they were going to run away, and I remember very plainly the two, two guys cried and said, no, sir, I'll never run away again, right? He came over and asked me, are you white yet, Waylon? Because I had spent the whole summer in there. He said, are you white yet? And he walked away. I said, not yet. And uh, he walked away and uh, I heard him talking to one of the staff members talking about how white I was. And he said to the staff member that he wanted to take, put a rope around my neck and take me outside so I could get some sun. And I just lost it. I said, no, you ain't taking me out. You're not, I'm not a dog. I said, you're not taking me outside with no rope. Right? So, I, of course, I didn't get to go over it. That's what he wanted to do with me, because they were afraid I would run, right? Did you endure physical abuse while yes. there? What, what kind? I've been punched in the face more than a few times and uh, things like that, right? So when you decide enough is enough, you ran away quite a few times. Just tell us about that. I ran away so many times. I know uh, one one kid died on the train tracks, and I can relate to that because I nearly died myself there. It was, uh, I spent the night on the train tracks there, and it was so damn cold. I, I, unbelievable, right? That was in the 1980s. The young fella froze to death, I think. Yes. Uh, when I'd run away... Uh, most times I'd stay in the woods overnight because they had uh, sometimes they had dogs out looking for us and and they caught me with helicopters. It was helicopter uh, chasing me and dogs. Uh, I just think it's horrific that uh, you sent sick a dog on a 13, 14 year old kid, right? So you got out in 1977. How have you been since? What have you been doing? I've been in Ontario ever since. Ever since I went to Ontario, uh, I haven't been in any trouble whatsoever. I spent one, one night in the lockup because uh, a friend of mine we were at Wasaka Beach and uh, we, had, we had a couple of drinks. They said I was drunk, which I wasn't. My buddy was, I wasn't. And uh, so they locked us up. They asked me where my boat was. I said, uh, I'm not going to tell you where my boat was. So they got mad at me and locked me up because I wouldn't tell them where the boat was. I didn't want them to hassle me all night. <laughs> So yeah, that's the only night that, uh, so I haven't been in any trouble since, right? When, when you were it's, you know, stuck in this box uh, for 87 days, what, what do you do? How do you, how do you keep your mind? Well, I, I'm sure you can imagine the only thing you, that you have to do, and that's, I had uh, made, we had a, a wool blankets like they have at the hospitals with the holes in it. So I'd put, take the string out of it and I'd make three little balls and then I learned to juggle. I have to I have the balls in, in the car there, made out of wool. But uh, yeah, so I, I I had those. But of course, as soon as you, as soon as they catch you with them, they take your mattress and your blankets and your pillow and everything, and which they would do if I was sitting with my feet on the floor. In the cell, you could sit on your bed with the, your feet on the floor if you sat on the bed with your feet on the bed or laid down and they took your mattress, they took your bedclothes, they took your pillow and left you with nothing. Right? So you had to sit up straight if not they would take your mattress away? That's right. You told me a story about an ant. Can you tell me tell me how that ant kind of kept you going? Uh, when you're in a cell like this with nothing, absolutely nothing every now and then you see an ant or something come in and what do you, you play with it. 
So I would always put my hand in front of it and it would go over my hand, it would go around my hand, it would uh, go up your arm or go anywhere, but he'd never give up. No matter where you put your hand to stop him, he never gave up. Uh, I wanted to be like that hand, right? So I never give up. Boredom must have been excruciating. It was painstakingly excruciating, right? There's no... What do you do? It's just... They wouldn't give me no books. I was never allowed to go to school. I went in with grade 6, and I came out with grade 6. I was not allowed to attend school. I was not allowed anywhere. As a matter of fact, when I... Uh, I spent two years in here, and the other time that I was actually in the boys' home and not in here, I had a man with me 24 hours a day. Uh, the man would specifically watch me, right? So then I would, that was quite tough to get away when you got a man with you 24 hours a day, right? Yeah. But I managed to do it. Well, that's Jack Whalen telling his story um, after spending a horrific amount of time as a, a young boy at the Whitburn Boys' Home and some of what he endured. And it's just hard to listen to that, to know that, you know, a child of that age, 13 to 17 years old, would be um, subject to that kind of uh, punishment, uh, regardless of whatever it is that they were alleged to have done. Uh, so it's a very difficult situation there. And he's brought that cell that he recreated just to prove a point uh, that he's parked outside a confederation building today um, he's prevented from taking any legal action because of the statute of limitations that applies to physical abuse but not to sexual abuse so if uh, he had been sexually assaulted he would have been able to take uh, this um, take legal action but because of the physical and mental abuse that he suffered um, there is a statute of limitations on that, and that's something that lawyer uh, Lynn Moore is trying to change, and she's going to be arguing that uh, particular case in court tomorrow. A very, very jarring type of uh, scenario there. Well, uh, Claudette, as you know, this has been a record-breaking year for forest fires uh, this early in the season right across Canada. Would you consider yourself to be fire-smart? Oh. oh, that's a tough one, Linda. Yeah. I'm going to go with no. Well, I thought I was, Until. you know, like, you know, how to prevent forest fire from either coming close to your home or right. destroying your home or, you know, what I could do to stop that kind of thing. Well, I thought I would have known, but I didn't. Oh, interesting. So no, what did you and learn? this is what, where Sarah Richards comes in. She's a conservation officer with the Department of Forestry, Fisheries, and Aquaculture. She's also a fire smart expert, and she provided a little update uh, to media and others at Patty's Pond today. And she joins me now. Well, hello, Sarah. Hi. So, uh, tell us a little bit about the Fire Smart program. Yeah, so Fire Smart Program, um, it's part of the Canadian Interagency Forest Fire Centre. Um, it's a national initiative to help basically mitigate homeowners' properties from urban interface wildfires. So it's a few principles, it's super simple steps to kind of look at your own home and property and how you can mitigate against some of these large-scale wildfires. Now I'm looking at the window here and I'm sure it's not that much different at Patty's Pond. We haven't had a lot to worry about so far this season when it comes to forest fires, but we've seen the effects of that uh, right across Canada right now. 
That's right. And that's one of the things, too, is uh, it's easy for us to say it won't happen in my backyard, but um, Nova Scotia is a great example. They're right next door, and it's uh, unfortunately happening there. And with the down weather right now, it's a great time to kind of start looking at our properties and be prepared. Well, indeed. And, you know, uh, the, the fires in Central are not that far away. Uh, and we know the, the, the fear that that put into a lot of people's um, hearts and minds at that particular time. So yes. how can people be fire smart? What, what are some key rules of thumb? Yeah, so we kind of look, the main um, focus is the 30 meters around your home. Like that zone is like the main focus. So basically radiant heat isn't supposed to uh, kind of spontaneously ignite your home within that 30 meter range. Um, so the main thing is kind of breaking that continuity of fuel for forest fires and embers to land within your property zone there. Um, so some really simple things is something as simple as keeping your lawn mowed down 10 centimeters or less. That can help break the fuel line. Um, looking around your home and looking at the 0 to 1.5 meters from your foundation out. Um, mulch, I know we all love the look of mulch around our flower gardens, but it's extremely flammable. So keeping that out away from your home. Um, some simple things too are conifers. If you're going to have a big conifer on your front lawn, try to keep that out 10 meters from your property um, and trimming up those branches by 2 meters so that'll break that fuel. Um, some other options too are to look at areas where embers, because 50 to 90% of homes that burn during wildfire urban interface fires are due to embers igniting on the property. It's not always that big wall of flames that you would think. So looking at is your wood pile right up against your house, move that out 10 meters if you can. Um, keeping your gutters cleaned of debris, so anything that's like dried um, leaves, sticks, stuff like that from underneath your deck and your gutters, keep that cleaned out and away from your property. And some simple things too are for landscaping is looking at um, hardwood trees, plant maples, um, horse chestnuts we have in around the topsoil area are some great options of golden chain trees that are really pretty in the spring that we all see, burning bushes, spirea, plants like that, hostas um, are all more fire resistant. Is that right? Does it make a difference that it's a hardwood rather than a softwood? Yeah, so um, softwoods are extremely flammable, um, especially in their resin and their sap. So a lot of these large-scale fires that we're seeing are happening in northern Canada in the boreal forest, which is what we have here in Newfoundland as well. Um, but a lot of it is your black spruce and your balsam fir, pine trees. It's all extremely flammable. So if we can kind of break um, what we would call ladder fuel, so the branches go straight to the ground, it makes it really easy for the fire to climb up the tree. So if you can trim those branches up, if you do have conifers around your home, um, two meters, it kind of breaks that. So you want that, that classic look, I suppose, that classic yeah. Christmas tree look where there's a distinct trunk. Exactly, yep. Yeah. So that'll help the fire kind of stay lower on the ground. That's really interesting. Anything else we should keep in mind, like uh, when to burn, when not to burn, those kinds of things? Yeah. Um, so we get, especially on the Avalon here, we get a lot of spring fires. Um, so after the winter, especially if we haven't had a whole lot of snow, we get that dried grass, dried trees, all that stuff that's kind of been sitting there since the fall, but it's like prime for burning. Um, so keeping an eye on if you have a lot of like longer grasses that are dried up right now, everything's pretty green, so it's it's not too bad. But the wind is one of the main factors that can really push those embers. So keep an eye on the wind. We ask if you have a burning permit for 15 kilometers or less um, for, for burning conditions because it, it doesn't take much for that, even a small ember, to, uh, to ignite a large fire. 
And even now with this kind of, um, you know, we, we might have a false sense of security, I'm wondering, you know, does it take long before the ground dries out again? Yeah, no, that's true. Um, and that's one thing, like our forest fire season runs from May 1st to the end of September. So make sure you keep an eye on our forestry website. There's a forest fire hazard map there to kind of look at what conditions we're actually in. So it could be in high, low, moderate. Um, that's going to kind of indicate what our fire hazard risk is. So keeping an eye on that on the website is really great. Um, but it doesn't take long. Once the sun comes out and we get a bit of wind, um, stuff can dry out a lot faster than people realize. Right. And, you know, we think of heat in that, but the wind really is a drying factor, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Well, Sarah, I really appreciate this. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people got an education just then. I know I did. Uh, thanks so much for your time. No problem. And the website, in case you want more information, is uh, firesmartcanada.ca. So there you go, Claudette. you got to keep your lawn 10 centimeters or less. You know, that's if you can get out to <laughs> mow it, to mow, and it has to be, you know, well, it has to be kind of dry in order for you to do that. What a great opportunity to get my nephews to do my, uh, you know, make some money and do my lawn. Um, but one of the things I noticed that she said, which is what I found really funny, the burning bush is fire resistant. Yes. <laughs> Didn't you notice that? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> burning yeah. bush is fire resistant. Fire resistant. There you go. Um, we got a burning bush last year. Yeah, they're yeah. beautiful, aren't oh, they? Oh, they're absolutely gorgeous. But you got to wait till October. Right. They're just a the regular color. old bush before then. Yeah. But uh, when October comes, whew, looks beautiful. Yeah, it's almost like a little light inside it. Just mm -hmm. it's beautiful. But uh, yeah, so keep yours. <laughs> we were looking at our lawn on the weekend, Claudette, myself and my husband looking out and going, yeah. You can't do anything with it. Right it's now. almost up to your knees, sure, yeah, in some it's places. It's terrible. It is absolutely terrible. My goodness gracious. I don't know. And I, I do you have a dog? I do. Yeah, no. and so there's poop in there somewhere. Yeah, and I, yeah, it's too wet to go out and get oh, it. Oh, stop! It was bad. You can't in the find it. It was freezing. As Brian Medora <laughs> said to me this morning, "Oh, you'll find it when you start yeah. mowing." Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> pay your nephews or pay some family member to do it for you. <laughs> or a son, you could have oh, maybe right. a thirteen-year-old son. Right. You. <laughs> Yeah, he'll be delighted to hear that. <laughs> um, I was going to get into a little bit about um, the City of St. John's um, economic outlook, which was announced in today's City Council meeting, mm -hmm. but we don't have time. So uh, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to keep people informed by uh, keeping their nose to the radio tomorrow. <laughs> or their ear, you know. Their nose. Their, their nose, their, their ear, gotcha. whatever body part. I don't want to know. <laughs> don't tell me. Um, but it's uh, you'll get more information on that. <laughs> you can check out our social media as well and vocm.com at vocm.com yep. uh, noah shepherd working on that story as we speak uh claudette thanks for this you're welcome and we'll be back tomorrow do join us then in the meantime have a safe evening uh, bye bye for now